Good morning, church. How are you guys doing? Good. Uh, my name is Elena Boonstra, and I am the hand-to-hand coordinator here at Vertigo. Um, if you don't know what hand-to-hand is, it's um, a ministry, a program that provides meals to kids over the weekend who might not otherwise have food. Um, our school is Woodbridge. We have um, 16 kids currently, and we are in our fifth week of packing backpack meals for them. Um, as you heard Pastor Josh talk last week, though, that number is growing. It's multiplying huge, and I'm excited to tell you guys about that. Um, we've just learned that the high schools, uh, both east and west, are in need of hand-to-hand, um, and we don't, we don't have our numbers in yet. We're not sure what that's going to be. Um, but we actually have the opportunity to um, join forces with, our, with other churches. Um, our neighbor Faith Reformed next door, uh, Amy's here joining us today, and also Community Reformed. We are actually going to pool all of our resources together and um, all of the schools that they give backpack lunches to, along with ours, and along with the high schools. We're going to make it a community effort, and we're going to pool our resources together, and we are going to have community packing nights. Um, and that's where you guys can come in and get involved. And what's really cool about that is it's going to be more than just our church and their churches. It's going to be open to the whole community. And um, hopefully people who otherwise would never even step into a church um, will get to be part of this. And I just think that's really amazing. Um, so to give you an idea of the numbers, so we have 16 kids at Woodbridge. Um, there's 30 kids at Lincoln that get backpack meals every week. Um, Creekside has 10. Cityside has 10. And then east and west, we're guessing about 30 each. Um, so that's uh, 126 kids. And we, we, church, we're all going to come together to feed these hungry kids. And I'm excited to tell you how. Um, but first, I want to introduce to you um, my friend Angel. Angel, if you want to stand up and wave. You don't have to stand up. <laughs> she, is, um, she has been training with me all summer and getting ready for this and helping me. And um, she's my co-coordinator. My right-hand lady, as she calls herself. <laughs> so I just wanted you to know her face so that you can ask her questions or seek her out about donations. Um, and then I also would like to introduce to you our speaker today. We have um, the founder of Hand to Hand, and um, she's just going to share with you how it came to be, how it got started, and, um, and where it's going. So if you all could give a warm welcome to Ms. Sherry. We actually, um, we are going to start with a video. It's a testimony from a principal, and I just love how he so passionately speaks about hand-to-hand in his schools. Have you ever been hungry? I mean, like, really hungry. Not like there's nothing good in the pantry, but hungry like if, if I have to eat one of my fingers, I'm going to eat one of these because if I survive today, I'm going to be left-handed still. If you've ever been that hungry or if you've ever had to go to the bathroom really bad in a car and, and you just couldn't pull over and you had that just, that's all I can think about or been so cold that you can't think about anything else. If you felt one of those just feelings just completely takes over your body, then you understand what it is for some of our kids to be sitting in a classroom hungry because they've not eaten sometimes in two or three days. It's, it's almost impossible for them to, to remember to raise their hand before they speak or to remember to change the Y to an I before they add the suffix, when all they can think about is, I'm hungry. We had a, a third grade boy from my school who went home from us on Friday, and he came back in a terrible mood on Monday. And at first, we didn't know why until we learned that he had gone home on Friday, all day Saturday, 
all day Sunday and Monday morning. That's parts of four different days. And he'd had a single corn dog to eat the entire time that he was away from us. These are the kids, and, and you might think, well, those kids don't exist in Rockford. Rockford's a, a suburb. It's, it's, it's affluent. There's, there's money there, and, and there is in pockets, plenty of it. But there's also a lot of kids that's hidden poverty that just don't have these needs. At my school, one out of four kids has, comes from a family below the poverty line, and that line is drawn awfully low. These are the kids who are coming to school, and they've not had breakfast and maybe not dinner last night either. These are the kids who say TGIM because they're, thank goodness it's Monday, I can eat again. It's not that they're excited to be back at school, it's they're excited because we can provide food for them. They dread weekends. These are the kids who don't want it to be summer. They don't want it to be Christmas vacation because that means they're gonna be hungry again. Hand to Hand has come into our school in the past year and I've been asked, what stories can I tell about Hand to Hand? Well, the fact is I have a lot fewer stories to tell now because that boy who only had a corn dog all weekend, we're sending meals home with him now on the weekend. And it's not we, the school. I, I'm just a guy with no hair who's talking about it. But the, the partnership that we developed with the community who is providing the food as a ghost presence. You know, this young man will open up his locker on a Friday and he'll see a backpack with the high school logo on it and he feels like an athlete walking around a really cool bag that kids are jealous of but his inside is his meal for the weekend. And so he can be excited that it's Friday now because he's gonna have a chance to eat. And, and so if you want to make a difference, you don't have to look across borders, across oceans. You can look locally. There are very, very hungry kids very close by. It doesn't have to be in your community. My school in Rockford, we were adopted by a group from Byron Center whose, whose pastor said when, when God said, feed my people, he didn't, talk about within our school boundary lines wherever they are and and my school that has more free and reduced kids than anyone else in our district we're now able to grow our program and provide this service for all of the schools in Rockford through the growing partnerships that we're having with local groups local churches and that kind of thing that backpack they don't know who it's from the the people who give the food to that child they wouldn't recognize him on the street. He wouldn't recognize them. But that, that gift of food that's gonna carry him through the weekend gives more than just food. It, it, gives, it gives him the knowledge and trust and faith that there's something, someone out there bigger than me who cares enough about me to meet my needs. And that's the gift that Hand to Hand brings to our kids. So if you could just go with me a minute to think of that little guy, that little third grader. Was that a typical weekend for him? I mean, what's his name? What is his story? Where were his parents? Does he live with mom? Does he live with dad? Does he live with grandma? And when he was so desperate for food, I can't help but wonder, did he cry out to God and, and didn't even realize it possibly? Did he, within his spirit, just have so much, uh, not only physical pain, but anguish? I'm so thankful for Psalm 33, 13, which says that God looks down on all of mankind and he sees us. And he saw this little boy. 
This little guy in the spring of this past school year began to receive hand-to-hand. And if you catch what the principal said, and we do not know where our principals ever stand spiritually, uh, what we've discovered about hand-to-hand is not only are we blessing and giving the kids glimpses of a good, good father who sees them, knows them, and loves them, but we are giving glimpses of God into our school staff. And the principal even said it gives him the faith, hope, and knowledge that something, someone is out there who is bigger than he is, who cares and meets his needs. We began in 2008, and I can't begin to explain um, the overwhelming burden that God placed on my heart. I was involved with Kids Hope. I actually love Kids Hope, and I'm thrilled that you are a church that is also rising up to do Kids Hope. I actually trained many directors in this room, so the fact that it's a worship uh, program I'm coming in our church this morning is just blessing my heart. But what I have seen is that we are not only feeding these kids, we're praying for these kids. Every single week, as you bring in and you begin to pack this food, one stipulation that we have is that we pray for these kids. And again, the burden I began to feel in 2008 when the recession hit, and I discovered that kids at our local school in Jenison, Michigan, were going hungry. I didn't even know what it looked like at that time. I just knew poverty was beginning to come into our local community. And just seeing the kids' faces through Kids Hope, that I was a part of, the kids that I was mentoring, I thought, we have to be able to do more. There is no excuse for kids to be hungry. We live in one of the most resourceful countries in the world. Every grocery store you go to, it's packed full of food. But these children can't drive themselves to the grocery store. If their parents aren't aware of a food pantry, they have nothing. Or if their parents are busy working, which we discover a lot of our families, they do work. It's the working poor. And so uh, that is how Hand to Hand began, just honestly with prayer and surrender. As we sang some of those songs, uh, I did not know what God was asking. I just knew that God wanted us as a church to do something to touch the lives of these kids. I've always had a passion for the church of Jesus Christ. I don't care about denominations. I have a passion for Christ followers to rise up and be Jesus to the world. When I was a little girl, I uh, actually was, I lived in poverty myself. My mom worked two jobs. My dad wasn't really in the picture. Eventually they divorced. I was the youngest of four kids. And I remember I never liked school, so when I hear about this little guy acting out, I totally understand. I felt like a fish out of water at school because you'd go to the open houses, you'd go to all these gatherings, and the moms and dads were there, and um, my mom worked days, she worked nights, she was a cashier, two different places. And also school projects, oh my word, everyone's looked so great, mine was just, I'm sorry, piece of crap. (laughs) And um, I remember just not feeling like I connected with people. And I'll never forget, I was invited to uh, my friend's house for uh, just to come on a Friday evening for dinner and to play. And I was so excited because, like I said, I didn't really feel like I fit in. And so uh, I went to her house and it was amazing. We sat down with the whole family and had this bunch of food that was in front of us. And we actually like passed dishes 
to each other and we helped ourselves to the food. And um, I remember they had this ice cream dessert. It was a little ice cream dessert with the Rice Krispies on top, the first time I ever had it, and a little hot fudge. That was the dessert of the day, I found out later. Uh, and I liked it so much, I asked for two pieces. And I remember I left on Friday night from their house, and I was so happy. I had experienced this love in this family, and I, I had a friend. And she actually said I was, we were best friends. We had decided that night we were best friends. And I drove, or I came to school on Monday, and I was just so excited to see her. And in the morning, as we were playing, she kept running away from me. And I would run after her, and she had this other little girl with her, and they would hold hands, and they would run away from me. And the bell rang, and I went into the classroom, and she kind of ignored me in the classroom. And recess came, and I finally got her to stop lunch recess. And I said, why are you running away from me? I thought we were best friends. And she said, well, my mom said, I can't play with you because you, your family has a lot of problems. And she said, it was also rude of you to ask for two pieces of ice cream. And I remember that from there, I proceeded to walk over to the swing set where one little girl, who also didn't have many friends, sat all by herself. And, and I regret this to this day, but I picked a fist fight with her, and I was about this big around and she was a little bigger than me. Um, and I so was so hurt that I provoked her into a fist fight to try to get some of my hurt out. And she beat me up, I mean, there's no question. <laughs> and it's actually, she, all she did was throw me down and sit on top of me and um, I, that was more humiliating because everyone came around and laughed and so that was kind of the story. But the, my point of telling you the story is I had a church. My mom worked two jobs, but she did not work on Sunday because none of the stores were open on Sunday. And that day, she always took us to church. If you're a single mom or a single dad, bless you. Keep it up. It matters. But she always took us to church, and this church loved us. This church came around us and brought us food, and it was there that I found Jesus Christ. It was there that I came and knelt at a, it was people like you who loved and accepted us. So my passion is as you feed these kids, you will pray for them. My heart is as you pray for these kids, they will find their way in these doors or they will find their way into someone who will tell them who Jesus is. We make prayer as important as the food. Yes, we're feeding these kids because they cannot reach their potential. They can't reach their God-given potential if they do not have food, if they cannot learn in school because they are so hungry, and they cannot reach their potential if they don't get God-given glimpses of who he is. So thank you for being a church who says yes. And if you're wondering, is really, are their kids hungry in Zealand? I want to just to real quickly share um, what Zealand, and my phone shut off, what Zealand, uh, sorry, <laughs> has. First of all, one in five children in Michigan face hunger uh, over the weekend or in general at all times. In Ottawa County, if we bring it closer, there are 11,423 children who are at risk of facing hunger. In Zealand schools, there are 1,323 students who fall in that 
free and reduced lunch category. And if you're wondering, well, what does that mean? Well, it means, for example, a family of four would, have, would make about 31,500 or less to receive a free lunch. And to receive a free or reduced lunch, they would make between about 45,000 to then that 31,500, and those are the reduced. But the interesting thing is, as I look at all of our schools, we're now in about 97, soon to be over 100 schools. They always qualify for, more qualify for the free lunches. More are like within that really low poverty level. And it's the same with, with uh, you. And just to give you an idea of how great uh, or just how big this could be, and it takes faith to do this, uh, right now in your school, um, there are 77, no, 112 qualified for free and reduced. And again, 77 of those kids are free. And then in the high schools, as you go into there, 280 would qualify for free and reduced, and of those 280, 191 are free. And if you can imagine living on that much, that's tough. And you as a church are going to go in and you're going to bless them. So thank you for that. Um, I just wanted to share one last thing with you. I could go on and on. That's why it's always a mistake because I have so many stories. Um, but I wanted to let you know that I don't get a letter from every superintendent of every district we're in, we're in 27, 26 districts, soon to be 27, and your principal left me a note, or your superintendent, I'm sorry. And so because I want you to know what this is doing to the schools, and as you invite community members in who maybe uh, don't know who Jesus is, as Elena said, do you, know, do you realize they're rubbing shoulders with you? You can let them know what your faith is, and, um, but this is what your superintendent says. Thank you. Thank you for feeding hungry kids. I have been there when kids open their lockers and I have seen tears of joy. I have seen kids hug the bag, say a word of thanks, and just plain smile. Thank you for eliminating one of most, the most hurtful pains in life. And it's signed Cal DeKuyper. Thanks for being that church. Thank you, Sherry. Um, I just want to really quickly um, let you know how you guys can get involved with this. Um, we're starting in 19 days, so we really need y'all to come together and, and help us. Uh, we have these cards out in the lobby, and if you could just grab one on your way out really quick out there on the table. Um, we just need your name, address, um, your information, your email, so that I can get you information. You're going to be able to sign up for our um, our community packing nights. So, and again, not just our church, other churches, people in the community. You can sign up your your football teams, your brownie scouts, your Cub Scouts. <laughs> Sorry. Um, anybody, anybody in the community is is welcome to sign up. Um, and that's going to be every other Tuesday night at six thirty. And we actually are moving um, into a bigger room, so you would come in door E. And again, I can get you all that information if you can just pick up one of these cards and fill it out on your way out. Um, our first packing is November 1st, and we're going to have an open house right the hour before that, so y'all are free to come and check out the room. Um, it's almost ready. We just need some food on our shelves. <laughs> and, um, and then I can also get you information on how you can donate um, food. Another great thing about um, coming together and putting all of our schools together is we will have the ability um, to buy in bulk, to buy in wholesale. Um, Myers is going to um, partner up with us and be able to get better prices and better food, healthier food, and more food 
for our children. So that's an amazing thing. Um, also, um, in the community, be on the lookout for um, Zealand Rec events. They're doing um, some things that will specifically benefit our Zealand, um, our six schools. And then um, one last thing that you can do if you would like to get involved, and I, um, I love to get our kids involved. My four-year-old, Ari, helps me deliver the bags every Wednesday. He pulls the little cart and he puts the bags up um, on the counter in the secretary's office, and he just beams. He just loves that he can, can help me feed kids. He still won't eat a dinner that I make, but he's really excited <laughs> to feed those kids. Um, but another thing that you guys can do is you can um, get your groups together and make snack packs. If you have kids up in elementary, um, they have done this, and they'll, they'll do this more throughout the year, but just um, putting fruit cups and snacks and Ziploc baggies so that we can just grab them and pack them and be all set to go. It's, um, that's a great help. So again, if you could just um, pick up one of these cards and fill it out and turn it in um, today or next Sunday if you can, um, that would be great. And I just, I just thank you for letting us and thank you for having Sherry come and just share our hearts about this. So thank you. I'm going to kick it over to um, Vanessa, and she is going to talk about our um, Kids Hope Kids. All right, good morning, everyone. Like Elena said, I'm Vanessa, and if you don't know me, I'm the kids director upstairs, so I really prefer if you guys were all about 10 right now. Um, but I'm honored that I get to share with you uh, a big piece of my heart, which is kids. Some of you may not know, but prior to coming to Vertical Church, I was an elementary school teacher uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I taught second grade and fourth grade, and we just had a huge range of children, and I taught at a low-income school, a Title I school, so we definitely had children coming to school who um, were hungry, children in foster care, and many other factors. And what's, it's easy to say, well, that's Charlotte, North Carolina. Like, it's a big city. You're going to experience poverty. But just like Sherry said, like, it's here in Zealand as well. And I just want to open our eyes today to the very fact that there are so many children who need help, and we're here to be the church to be able to do that for them. I wanted to also just give a quick shout out to Pastor Josh. I mean, we're really lucky to have him because he comes up here and does this every week. And let me tell you, it's not easy. Oh my goodness, it's not. So I'm just honored that he would um, let me and trust me and Elena to come up here and um, share with you guys. If I were to ask you guys um, who's lonely, I don't think that many of us would answer with kids. We would say like the elderly, people in nursing homes or maybe even folks who are single or widows, but we wouldn't come out and see kids. When I think of kids, I think of like they're running around and they're laughing and they're joyful, but today I just want to talk about the very fact that there are so many children in our community who are lonely. And like I said with my teaching experience, um, it has nothing to do with the teachers in the classroom. They go in every single day and love on those children. They can give them everything that they have, but the fact is that there's 25 plus kids and one teacher. That teacher cannot possibly get through everything that they have for the school day. And then also on top of that, be meeting needs for these children, such as emotional needs, spiritual needs, physical needs. And that's why we as the church need to step in and be that force with these teachers and parents in order to help them do that. There are so many different reasons that children are struggling. And I have a story to tell you about a little boy from when I taught second grade. And just like Sam, I don't know if I'll be able to get through this story because he was my second year teaching, and I haven't taught in five years now. And I taught for five years, so it was almost ten years ago. And um, his name was Guillermo, and he was the sweetest boy ever. And he 
all he wanted to do was please me. He wanted to please his parents and please his peers. And at the beginning of the school day, we stood in the hallway and all the kids came by. I had, we had about eight classrooms per grade level, so our school was quite large. So it was mandatory that as a teacher, you stood in the hallway because a lot of things could happen in the hallway. And as a second grader, we shared a hallway with fourth graders, and so we were just looking for bullying and just anything like that. But it also gave us the opportunity to say hi to the kids when we were walking down the hallway. And I always was so excited when he was coming because he literally hopped down the hallway, and he was so excited to come, and he had this big smile and these cute big brown eyes. Um, but this day, he didn't. His backpack was kind of hanging on his shoulder, and he was just walking really slow, and he was looking down, and when he came up close to me, I said, buddy, what's going on? And he said, um, I didn't get to do my homework last night. And I'm not a huge fan of homework, so I only ever gave out about 20 minutes a night of reading, and it really wasn't even mandatory. They actually got a reward if they filled out so many days. It was like a reading log, and so it did, he wasn't going to get punished for it. But he was so disappointed in himself that he wasn't able to get this done. So I just asked him to elaborate a little bit more and asked him, hey, what's going on? Like, did you just have a busy night last night? Or, you know, what's happening? And he said, well, my mom and dad have had to work more jobs now. And I'm staying home with my big sister, and I'm taking care of our younger siblings. So by the time they go to sleep at night, I'm too tired to read. And that broke me. He's eight years old. And he's at home taking on the stress of an adult. And I wish nothing more that we had a program like Kids Hope for him. And we didn't at our school. But I think, goodness, there were, at that time, I think I had 26 second graders. And it was just myself in my classroom. And I couldn't even do anything but hug him that day. But while he was there every day from that day on, I made sure he got to be a kid. At recess, I chased him in the playground. I'm like, you're going to laugh because I need to hear you laugh. And made sure. But what I wanted more than anything for him was one person to come in who could pour into him, just him. I was pouring into our, my whole class, but I wasn't able to just always pull him aside and pour into him. And that's exactly what Kids Hope does. It takes one mentor who partners with um, a child. So our church is partnered with Woodbridge. And one mentor would get partnered with a child who has a need. And these needs are all different needs. It could be like my child. He came from a great family. They were just a family who were struggling um, financially. They were the working poor. They needed extra jobs to feed their children at night. And he wasn't academically behind. He actually was on grade level. He struggled a little bit with reading, but that was only because English was a second language. Um, but what he needed was just somebody who could pour hope into him, somebody who could let him know, like, you're important, you're valued, you are loved. And not that his parents didn't do that or that I didn't do that, but his parents had limited time with working jobs, and I had limited time with having a classroom full of kids. So like I said, these ch kids with Kids Hope are, ha are struggling with all different needs. It could be academic. It could be maybe they're going through a hardship, parents possibly going through a divorce or a financial hardship, or they're even just a new kid who's moved to a school and they're finding themselves lonely. Um, Pastor Josh talked about this at Baby Dedication. I loved it so much that I had to share it with you guys, but he talked about bows and arrows and how we as parents are the bows and our children are the arrows, and it's our job and responsibility to aim them. 
But when after he said that and I found out I was speaking about Kids Hope, it really resonated me with me that it's not only our job and privilege and responsibility to aim our own children, but it also is our job, privilege, and responsibility to aim the children who are in need. God instructs us to care for the orphaned and the widow, and that also includes the lonely, the forgotten, the needy, anyone. And so just showing up once a week for one hour to mentor a child, that's aiming them. I mean, you're helping them set their path and, and do that. So it's so important. What We're talking a lot about hope today, like you know, kids' hope and giving children hope. And I just looked this up, and I wanted to share this with you. So what is hope exactly? Hope is an optimistic attitude of mind that is based on expectation of positive outcomes related to events and circumstances in one's life. Well, that's great, but what if you're a child whose positive outcomes have not happened? What if your circumstances keep leading you to negative outcomes? What if you keep failing your spelling test or you realize, I can't read like the kid next to me? Or your parents are going through a divorce and you're struggling with finding your balance there. Or maybe you're in foster care and having feeling unwanted or unloved or whatever the circumstance is, adults have the power to sow hope in children where none exist. And hope is what keeps us moving when we're faced with adversity. So I have another little story about a little girl named Sam. And she was eight, and she felt invisible. She um, came to school and played alone on the playground, and her grandpa was the light of her life. He poured into her so much, but he had recently passed away. And mom was expecting a new baby. And you know how it is with new baby. Everything's about the new baby at first. And so she was just feeling unloved, and she had a hard time making friends at school. She was incredibly shy. But then Kim stepped in, and Kim was her Kids Hope mentor. And Kim came once a week for one hour just for Sam. And Kim called her by name. She looked her in her eyes. And sometimes she brought her black licorice because that was her favorite candy, uh, which is not mine. But um, And what was really amazing is that Kim started to notice qualities about Sam that she didn't even know she had. She would say, you're so creative. You are so kind to your friends. And slowly, Sam started getting this confidence about herself and wanted to play with her friends and wanted to go to school. And she could not wait for the day that Kim came every week. And what's amazing to me is that Kim didn't do anything crazy. Kim didn't quit her job. Kim wasn't at the school from 8 a.m. until 3 p.m. when they got out. Kim just showed up every week for one hour for the entire school year. And for the first time in a long time, Sam felt important. And I just think about it like this. The most loving thing that we can do for somebody is be there and listen. That's exactly what kids hope is. And for most of us, it's easy to say, to watch from a distance, and it's easy to let somebody else do it. Like, well, they stay home. They have, they're able to go in, or I'm too busy. I have my own kids, and that's all true. But nothing can replace your physical time. Like, it's the most valuable gift you can give for somebody. And actually, at an early age, conviction runs deep inside of us. But what happens is we start pushing that away. We, we know that conviction runs deep inside of us when we physically show up for somebody. It's easy in the world that we live in like to shoot somebody a text 
or to write them an email or just even wave from a distance. And I'm not saying any of that's bad, but I think we all know sometimes when we have that, even that friend who's hurting and you shoot him a text, there's still a part of you that says, gosh, I wish that I could have just gone there and like hug them or done something else for them. It's because the conviction to physically show up for somebody runs deep inside us. And I know I have a lot of stories today, but I have one more that I just could not wait to share with you because I just, it hit me. I was telling actually Sam about it this week at church and we both were sobbing in my office. But um, there was this dad and he was going through cancer therapy, like drug therapy. And I actually read about this in a book. And um, he'd come home every day and he'd have the chills and he was physically ill. And all he would do is pray to God, like, God, please, please let me fall asleep. If I fall asleep, it's one more day closer that I'm, you know, feeling better, one day closer to the end of this drug therapy. And this little girl would come home, his daughter, she's about three, and ask mom, mom, where's daddy? She'd say, honey, he's sleeping, like he needs to rest, he's not feeling good, he's having a hard time falling asleep. And she would grab her blanket and run to his door and hop on the bed and snuggle so close to him, but not say a word. She wouldn't bother him. She would just lay her body right next to his body. And her physical presence of her showing up for him every day helped him fall asleep. And his prayer was answered. And what's amazing to me is that she could have done anything. She could have like drew him a card. She actually could have left him alone thinking that leaving him alone would have been the best thing because he needed his rest. But that the conviction for her to physically show up for somebody ran so deep in her that she knew her dad needed her. And I just think if a three-year-old recognizes that, like we need to recognize that. So I actually, love this, that the fact that it's amazing to me how much Jesus got done in his three and a half years of ministry. I mean, he was always healing somebody, always um, preaching, but he was never too busy to be interrupted. Jesus knew the value of time, and he always had time for those in need. And sometimes I have to ask myself, like, do I? Like, do we? I'm so task-oriented that sometimes I can check off a list, but completely miss the emotional side of it. So I'm just asking you today, like, just evaluate your circumstances, evaluate your life. Like, how far would you go to help somebody? You know, how far would you go? It actually makes me think about this story in the Bible where there's this par- the paralyzed man, and he hears that Jesus is preaching, and we just actually talked about this in Kidsmen not too long ago, but his four friends carry him there, but the line is long, and he knew he wouldn't be able to get in, so they cut the hole in the ceiling and lower him down. And Jesus looks up at them and says, um, your, your sins are forgiven, you are healed. And I think about it not only that Jesus took the time and was interrupted, but I think about it about his four friends. Like, they have their own lives and schedules and whatever, but they physically carried their friend who needed Jesus there and helped them. And I just think about it for myself. Like, how far would I go out of my way to help someone in need? Children and people who are held down by loneliness rarely lift their voices to ask for help, especially children. A lot of it is sometimes they don't even know how to ask for help or what they need. So it's just our job, church, to be the we church. And Maddie, can I close with this here? (laughs) Sorry. Nobody can remember who the Nobel Peace Prize winners are. At least I can't. And I don't know who won the Heisman Trophy. Ryan may be able to tell you, but I can't tell you. But we can all remember someone who's influenced our life. 
And could it be that what most of us need in this world is just one person? Like one person who shows up for us. One person who loves us. One person who gives those kids the high five and listens and smiles. And just one person who proves that these children are worthy. If we as a church don't get to the lonely or the needy or the forgotten, we have an enemy who will. And so that's why we need you. We rise and fall to the level of our praise. Let's fill these kids' tanks up with so much hope that when adversity comes their way, their tanks are full. They say, I'm loved. I'm worthy. I can take on whatever is happening to me because not only do I have my mentor coming or my hand-to-hand bag, but they're seeing a glimpse of who God is. During creation, God said everything was good except when he got to Adam. He said, you know, there's light. It's good. The land and seas, it's good. But when he got to Adam, that's the first time that he said it's not good because God realized that we need people to walk through life with. And it's our job as a church. Shouldn't we be saying the same thing when we see these kids walking through life that need a need? Shouldn't we be saying that's not good and join forces with them? And you may be asking, well, one hour a week, that can't make a difference. Like, but it does. And we also serve a God who notices. He says, it says in the Bible here that he notices if we give a cup of water to a child. Therefore, what if we give an hour of every week to a child? 